0: Welcome to Trunk Church. Come drink the blood of God with us. Bless you for being an angel Just when it seemed that heaven was not for me Cosima B. Concordia
1: and my name is Aurora Well,
0: Also you know to give a preface for this fucking episode both of us have been struggling all week <laughs> and um we've been the-
1: struggling for two weeks. <laughs> I know
0: we've had so many like scheduling things and then we've been like sick and then we had like vaccination like I got the I got the new COVID vaccination and then my brain was like garbage and then yesterday I had like a terrible migraine and then <laughs> and then I was like feeling a little bit better but still like bad and then Aurora got a migraine <laughs> and I mean now we're both pretty good I made a joke on Twitter about how like um <laughs> like in some ways The idea of having a migraine and trying to do a drunk church episode feels like kind of right, because it's like literally traumatizing thought, you know? Like Bataille would have (laughs) wanted. Which is mostly to say to be incoherent.
1: It's not a fun level of like masochism to indulge in though.
0: Yeah, there is absolutely nothing about a migraine that is the right type of pain. Like I have a lot of tolerance for lots of types of pain, and I think the only two that I like a hundred percent just feel pure suffering and and no amount of pleasure about our um when it comes to like like burning I really don't like any sort of like heat related um related pain and uh which is like my one kind of hard limit and then I guess migraines I don't (laughs) it would be very upset if there was like a a migraine button that my dogs could push (laughs) that would be very upsetting A migraine caller.
1: I think I'm pretty lucky that I don't get them very often. I think it's just a combination of the stress and these energy drinks that I buy in bulk.
0: For me, I think I was introduced to. Donna Haraway. When I read Sophie Lewis's work, Sophie Lewis is author of Full Surrogacy Now: Feminism Against Family and the forthcoming Abolish the Family. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and and she's really fabulous and one of the biggest thinkers. And that um, she draws off of is Donna Haraway. And then also like there are a bunch of like leftist and trans meme accounts that would often use Donna Haraway. In interesting ways yeah and then and then I actually read her probably like maybe three years ago and yeah I mean she's she's brilliant and cyborg manifesto is a really difficult text but it's been very important for me and my thinking I think
1: I was first introduced to her work in a feminist philosophy graduate seminar that I sat in on as an undergraduate and I think also her work ends up being always cited other thinkers so this notion of the cyborg is like picked up a lot i think in complete departments and in english departments i don't know how many people are going back to the original text so that was a fun challenge in getting ready for this episode but she's really important in feminist philosophy for from the standpoint epistemology so i'm i think most familiar with her work situated knowledges which i've taught before in a couple of my classes It's one of those pieces that like so much is happening and people end up just sort of connecting to a single line or a single concept and then it just sort of blossoms into something entirely new and exciting. But then there's also this risk of things being watered down a little bit or taken out of context.
0: Yeah, the memes that her cyborg manifesto quotes are always put in are often paired with Hajime Sorayama's art and he paints these like... Famous kind of like robot Chrome like cyborg girls basically. There's these really great memes of like you know that like bimboification meme of turning into the bimbo and then the bimbo going into cyborg manifesto and coming out as like these sexy Toriyama cyborg girls. <laughs> so yeah, it's like it's the final the final process. <laughs>
1: How do even want to begin to address this text?
0: Yeah, there's so much going on in the text. But the first time I read it, the concept on the very first couple of pages is what like stuck with me the most. And I think that is like really influenced how I go about a lot of my work, and also like kink practices. So basically, the idea that this is an attempt to build a ironic political myth, and specifically, she's going into like feminism, socialism, and materialism. And so like how to comment on these like big structures, but then also to do it in such a way as to fundamentally like transgress them. And so she says, perhaps more faithful As blasphemy is faithful than as reverent worship and identification. Blasphemy has always seemed to require taking things very seriously. I know no better stance to adopt from within the secular religious evangelical traditions of United States politics, including the politics of socialist feminism. Blasphemy protects one from the moral majority within while still insisting on the need for community. And so I think it's like, just right out the gate, speaking to the way in which you can take a sign, basically, and transgress it and blaspheme against it, which is also a way of like taking it very seriously to both maintain like the power and the vibrancy of that sign while also moving past its limits, I think, in some profound ways.
1: The playfulness doesn't just reassert the same power structures. So she says, Later on in the essay, that God is dead, but so is the goddess. So we're not just saying, like, okay, we're gonna reassert these power structures, but using an aesthetics of these sexy cyborgs or using these confounding and exciting and intriguing new jargony words. There's something very serious and very different happening here. We're not just recreating like a new foundation with the old.
0: The tools. Mm-hmm. The purpose of the cyborg as this creation that has been created by these really pernicious forces, you know, like industrialization, but that, like any sort of bastard child, doesn't have to be in service to those things mm-hmm. and as a way to break out and to not be beholden to those kind of originary myths. So the myth of an originary whole, this kind of idea of fascism that. I think can so easily take over um so many types of thought where the thing that we're moving to is some like beautiful before time that like what has happened, like what has gone wrong, is that we've lost our way in some fundamental Mm -hmm. sense. Like either from the way that things should be around biology, or you know, in in, like this kind of second wave feminism sense that we need to like go back to the goddess, this idea of like the all mother or something. You know, go back to the originary divine feminine.
1: Mm-hmm. Go back to nature, buy a farm.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that that is fundamentally not the answer. And we're also not trying to go back to before the Tower of Babel was was destroyed. You know, we're we're not trying to go back to this time when language was all unified mm-hmm. and when all meaning could go back to a single sign. Cyborg writing is Assuming that language is always contextual, is always changing, is always this process. And to attempt to make something that is, like, originary and goes back and, like, has a claim to the whole is, like, foundationally something that is going back to those original myths, like, you know, trying to, like, redeem God or the goddess.
1: Foundation building is bad, in fact. Yeah. So it's necessary to construct a vocabulary, and it's necessary to like do meaning making. But to assert those as keystones to some larger, greater truth that then is part of nature is just kind of a foolish endeavor. To personally, I think, but also has some really horrifying implications. Does something that's really dangerous and ultimately really bad, as you mentioned. That like, there's this like solidarity isn't solidarity it's hegemony actually negates the possibility for new creation it negates the possibility for difference Mm -hmm. but do we want to take a couple steps back and just define like what is the
0: cyborg yeah (laughs) the cyborg is a lot um what is it what is the cyborg (laughs) so um a cyborg is a cybernetic organism a hybrid of machine and organism a creature of social reality as well as a creature of fiction Social reality is lived. Social relations, our most important political construction, a world-changing fiction. To think of the cyborg as a way to drive us away from nature, to say like, oh, we're actually now the machine is not what Haraway is doing. What Haraway is actually is doing is forcing us to transgress boundaries and to show that boundaries are fundamentally false. And so it's an argument for pleasure in the confusion of boundaries and for responsibility in their construction. So that just as we confuse the boundaries Between humanity and machine, that also means that we're confusing the boundaries between humanity and animality. Mm -hmm. It means that we're breaking down these foundational hierarchies that allow us to like create some originary thing we're going back to. And, And and I mean I think I think a lot of a lot of queer theory would would use the word queering here, you know?
1: Also forces us to rethink traditional taxonomies. So to rethink this impulse to order and to label and to put things like in their correct place to put everything in its little spot in modern philosophy, like figures like um, was it Pascal and Malbranche they if I'm pronouncing that name right their French so is hundred percent out the window they thought that animals were machines, <laughs> so if you opened up an animal it was it wasn't like a a living creature in the same sense that we're living creatures because we have souls and animals don't it was opening up a machine
0: Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm.
1: malbranche used to host public like autopsies or like vivisections of animals where he was looking at like the parts of what he thought was a machine and like trying to show whether or not it had a soul and like listening to its pain and it's interesting to think how far we've come from like with that like thinking of an animal as a machine like that Versus thinking of it as something with feelings and a soul. And then now we're thinking of us as machines. Like there's something there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and also I think it's it's worth mentioning that 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 was a, a purely like Western thing, right? That like this complete removal of humanity from from animality and this like pure like objectification of the animal like to the point that they were just like objects that couldn't experience pain because the only thing that the only reason that you can have purpose is is if you have you know like a soul that that is also a very particular cultural construction Mm
1: -hmm. that connects us to this great chain of being so the spiritual taxonomy on top of the scientific taxonomy
0: hmm. There's so much to say about what the cyborg is. So unlike the hope of Frankenstein's monster, the cyborg does not expect its father to save it through a restoration of the garden. That is through the fabrication of a heterosexual mate, through its completion in a finished whole, a city and a cosmos. The cyborg does not dream of community on the model of the organic family. And so I think in um, sentences like that, we can see like the hyper radical potential of Haraway here, where the point of the cyborg is that through this confusing of boundaries and through this confusing of this need to return to this homogenous structure, it is fundamentally challenging all of these like sacred held systems of power that like um are constructed by cis heteronormativity and white supremacy
1: the cyborgist uh, figure has a illegitimacy about it so it's the illegitimate offspring of those structures which doesn't entirely divorce them from the s- systems of power from which they're enmeshed but it creates a possibility of unfaithfulness and of like playfulness and we can disavow those origins
0: Yeah. And it's also a fundamental, you know, restoration of the idea of like the monstrous birth that to be a monster, to be the to be the death of the parent, right, to be the death of of the old order through your connection to it and through your like fundamental complicity in that structure and coming from that structure allows you in a way to be the monstrous thing which subverts that structure and which challenges that structure. From another perspective, a cyborg world might be about lived, social, and bodily realities in which people are not afraid of their joint kinship with animals and machines, not afraid of permanently partial identities and contradictory standpoints. The political struggle is to see from both perspectives at once, because each reveals both dominations and possibilities unimaginable from the other vantage point. Single vision produces worse illusions than double vision or many-headed monsters. And so I think that another thing that the cyborg arises is necessity for us to hold and to think contradiction because we are saying that there is no originary meaning to go back to. That means that we are going to be confronted with meaning that sometimes gives us truths that cannot, simply cannot be put together satisfyingly and that's difficult it's messy the cyborg appears in myth precisely where the boundary between human and animal is transgressed Far from signaling a walling off of people from other living beings, cyborgs signal disturbingly and pleasurably tight coupling so at the same time that as we break down the distinction between the animal and the human, then we also talk about the ghost and the machine so pre cybernetic machines could be haunted. there was always the specter of the ghost and the machine, fundamentally breaking down the idea of there being anything distinct about. Just as we are redeeming the animal and saying, like the animal fundamentally is valuable and has a soul, we are also breaking down the thing that is saying that there is this thing called soul, which allows us to be above world and like the environments that we live in.
1: Mm-hmm. Goes back to the Socratic point that the that the body is imprisoned by the soul. It's not that the body is imprisoning the soul. These higher ideals that are sort of ascribed to us end up doing something to our body. It's like disciplining that is a closing off.
0: Yeah, I think like one of the reasons why why this piece is so beloved by so many trans folks is is that it does like Haraway's not not trans but it functions as a very trans text because it challenges the idea of there being anything. Like foundational or fundamental about like femaleness and about maleness. So specifically, the way in which um, the idea of the cyborg fractures those identities and and makes them contradictory. And so there is nothing about being female that naturally binds women. There is not even such a state as being female itself, a highly complex category constructed in contested sexual scientific discourses and other social practices gender, race, or class consciousness is an achievement forced on us by the terrible historical experience of the contradictory social realities of patriarchy, colonialism, and capitalism. Like this idea of there being such thing as femaleness or like, you know, these essentialisms that are constantly thrown around then end up being this way of just devaluing the inclusion of like women who in other ways are already devalued by these other systems. So then she goes into like very in-depth about how like specifically Black women and women of color are devalued within the category woman. So, you know, like doing lots of the work that I think is now very like understood within a lot of queer and feminist communities today. Like, for example, as a Chicana or a U.S. Black woman has not been able to speak as a woman or as a Black person or as a Chicano. Therefore, she was at the bottom of the cascade of negative identities, left out of even the privileged, oppressed, authorial categories called women and Blacks, who claimed to make the important revolutions. The category women negated all non-white women. Black negated all non-Black people, as well as Black women. But there was also no she, no singularity, but a sea of differences.
1: With no available original dream of a common language, so this goes back to your point about we're not looking to. Reestablish the Tower of Babel, no original symbiosis promising protection from hostile masculine separation, but written into the play of a text that has no finally privileged reading or salvation history to recognize oneself as fully implicated in the world frees us from the need to root politics and identification, vanguard parties, purity, and mothering.
0: and that like Haraway is so so aware and in a way that I think a lot of texts, especially written around this time period in in feminism we're uh, very ignorant to was the way that like women was constructed as this political identity was something that like perpetuated through the sign and through that idea of of essence uh, to perpetuate the thing in and of itself so like innocence and the corollary insistence on victimhood as the only ground for insight has done enough damage So this idea that that there is like some essential thing about femaleness that is more good, more innocent, that you can't
1: more radically soft,
0: exactly more radically soft, which is the very oppression in the first place that you're theoretically fighting against.
1: Mm -hmm. So the impulse in like in philosophy, so I'm gonna give a brief overview that's gonna be overly simplified. But with someone like Beauvoir who's saying okay, we need reciprocity between men and women, and it looks like giving women what men have, having women be recognized as such, and you have difference feminists like Arriterae, Kristava, who say like, no, what makes women women is their particular womanness. So what someone like Beauvoir wants is just to erase women. <laughs> Which is not what Beauvoir wants, but that's what the difference feminists are so worried about femicide <laughs> getting rid of women as a category
0: <laughs> <laughs> the real femicider um,
1: and so um yeah how do you value these like things that have been traditionally ascribed to women and which women have had to creatively find ways to make sense of themselves through so there's like imposed values but do you have people that have been successfully supporting them or being able to make them work for them so but then how do you yeah how do you navigate that mess so destruction i think you just destroy the binary um, but not through a mm-hmm. like assertion of a like fundamental non-binary this like you have to do something else that's how we get the cyborg imagery yeah there is something that i love about the language of cyborg and mechanisms there's something there about like a binary so a binary code that's in machines or in a degree of like microchips or like a cyborg also involves that but if you're taking the cyborg seriously or if you're utilizing these tools in new and creative ways then you can rewrite binary codes and recode which i think is very cool i think that this process is a process of recoding
0: there's a massive section about feminized labor where she's challenging the idea that like no objects spaces or bodies are sacred in themselves that foundationally all of these all of these structures are are structures and that they're like constructions like made of myth and like the idea of like being feminized that feminized is is a construction like to be feminized means to be made extremely vulnerable right and that that holds different for different types of women like um It is no longer a secret that sexuality, reproduction, family, and community life are interwoven with this economic structure in myriad ways, which have also differentiated the situations of white and black women. So the idea that the way we are situated and constructed affects how we navigate those things and like, i think for our audience um that is a largely non-controversial idea that has i think been through many different avenues and in different different works largely black feminist works has been largely accepted into a lot of feminist thought but it's also important just to notice how that fits in with um with harroway's overall image of the cyborg mm-hmm her idea of the cyborg is to have these like potent fusions between these like collapsing of these like numerous boundaries so it's also kind of a different you know like if we were to think um intersectionality uh like as it's often employed today this is a slightly different way of thinking similar things so earlier i suggested that women of color might be understood as a cyborg identity a potent subjectivity synthesized from fusions of outsider identities and in the complex Political historical layerings of her bio-mythography, Zami, by Lord Audre Lord. So, the cyborg is a way of understanding how these different identities and constructions of ways that we are perceived and navigate the world affect us. While I think at the same time removing it from some of the the more pernicious. Um, aspects of identitarianism that makes it this kind of uh, a zero-sum game.
1: Zero-sum of the binary. But also the kind of the worst applications of standpoint epistemology (laughs) end up looking like that where it's, oh, it's just an appeal to identity and it's all feelings-based. So it ends up like the way that she's mobilizing the cyborg ends up giving, like allowing for there to be some kind of truth value while also understanding how things are. Situated within power structures, or how they are radically constructed, which is a super important point because it ends up being this bizarre false binary between oh things are objected truths in and of themselves. We have to get rid of the body, we have to get rid of identity, we have to have this god's eye view. Versus oh, you can only have an opinion about being woman if you're a woman. You have to figure out what woman is. You have to get to this pure concept of woman, but it's an embodied lived concept it just gets really really messy in a bad way versus lingering in a kind of messiness that's a good kind of messiness
0: mm-hmm. yeah like um cyborg writing this is a quote cyborg writing must not be about the fall the imagination of a once upon a time wholeness before language before writing before man cyborg writing is about the power to survive not on the basis of original innocence but on the basis of seizing the tools to mark the world that marked them as other i think like going back to um you know this kind of like the um traumatizing of language i think we can see how those how those concepts are very similar this idea that um we have to explode objectivity and see how we can talk about truth like we can make truth claims we can talk about our identities and ourselves, but understand how those are not those cannot be understood outside of history and context and time, and that also nothing can
1: <laughs> a bad myth is the mythical outside a good myth is the ways in which we can play with what is inside here with us, what's locked in the room with us, <laughs> so to speak,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, you know, talking about like what would be a cyborg politics, like, cyborg politics is the struggle for language and the struggle against perfect communication against the one code that translates all meaning perfectly, the central dogma of phallogocentrism. <laughs> the idea that there is one answer that is ever accessible or possible is always going to be a harmful hegemonic one that if taken to its extreme, will curdle into fascism. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: It's the erasure of difference. It's the erasure of um, anything that um, can generate something new. So I love this. It's ironic that it uh, negates the possibility for birth. So the notion of the goddess as mother and the essential feminism, like it's a sterile way of being versus Going past the mother, um, thinking about the cyborg, that's actually where you are able to create something. That's, there's genesis there in a very real sense.
0: Well, in in thinking about how you know like gender is like culturally constructed within community, that there is this cyborg mothering, like I think what we would call like trans mothering in this trans context of uh you know like kind of like older older trans women um you know like taking in younger trans women and these kind of like shared systems of the meaning that are constructed together and have this lineage that that is this form of cyborg mothering that transcends the mere production of the the idea that you're like returning back to some originariness that it's like this is something that is being constructed together so like you know like dyke culture and faggot culture and all of these like queer spaces that fundamentally are about how we are with one another not about defining ourselves up and against the hegemonic system that we are trying to survive within
1: yeah illegitimate offspring versus these clean lines of descent
0: Mm-hmm. Like, I have a lot of problems with Adrienne Rich, uh, uh, the, you know, the lesbian poet, because she wrote a foreword to, like, the transsexual empire by Janice Raymond, and, like, basically the, the genocidal turf manifesto that kind of persists to this day. But also, I think there is something about that desire, that there is something very different between lords like, biomythography and... This construction of myth that is that is so mount so like fundamentally um rooted versus this what i think adrian rich is doing which is much more rooted in in these like essentialisms and this desire to have basically for (laughs) for lesbians what uh you know the patriarchy has
1: Mm -hmm. there's a naturalizing impulse and like in the same sense that we have to kill the father we might have to kill the mother (laughs) actually
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah for sure the whole (laughs) the whole parenting unit must be killed also it's it's a redemption of the idea of the monstrous um like within queerness and transness that the that the cyborg is this monstrous being, is the thing that confronts the parents with the death of the return to, you know, to some, like, originary thing. It's that it's not just their reproduction. Monsters have always defined the limits of community and Western imaginations. Cyborg monsters and feminist science fiction define quite different political possibilities and limits from those proposed by the mundane fiction of man and women, so that the monster and I think this is also the the foundational thing about horror, about like confronting with horror, is we are able to transcend the limits that have been created by the system that, that we are trapped within.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking about horror films. <laughs> and the fact that we're spooky season is upon us. Um, but about just the fact that so many people, it's not just identifying with the villain, it's seeing like seeing something beautiful in that aesthetic, so like wanting to live your life in a, in a horror film. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The kind of, like how the body uh, modifications become celebrated and beautiful and interesting, what would otherwise be seen as a mutilation or what would otherwise be seen as like an attack.
0: hmm And also that the cyborg is, is like a creature, is a creature of pleasure and a creature of embodiment. First and foremost, that embraces, you know, kind of like the pleasure of, of those transgressions, the pleasure of those bonds and fusings between leakages. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of fluids between things that we wouldn't necessarily uh, think of in that way, and also the the remapping of meaning, like in just kind of this infinitely imaginative new way of of understanding like how we draw our our maps of meaning. So I I just want to go over the final page and then I'm ready to talk about like more contemporary understandings or applications. Yeah, so there's this idea that we are that we are in these these systems of harm of hegemony and that and to quote, we have all been injured profoundly. We require regeneration, not rebirth. And the possibilities for our reconstitution include the utopian dream of the hope for a monstrous world without gender. And here I think when she says without gender, it's not saying a world that doesn't have, you know, men and women in it, but a I think gender binary would be a would be a better understanding here that so that the entire fullness of gender, gender expression and sex and embodiment can fully take form her argument is to is to take just as we have killed god now now we have killed the goddess instead we hold up the image of the of the cyborg so this does two things the production of universal totalizing theory is a major mistake that misses most of reality probably always but certainly now and second taking responsibility for the social relations of science and technology means refusing an anti-science metaphysics, a demonology of technology, and so means embracing the skillful task of reconstructing the boundaries of daily life and partial connection with others in communication with all our parts. It is not just the science and technology are possible means of great human satisfaction, as well as a matrix of complex dominations. Cyborg imagery can suggest a way out of the maze of dualisms in which we have explained our bodies and our tools to ourselves. This is a dream, not of a common language, but of a powerful infidel heteroglossia. It is an imagination of a feminist speaking in tongues to strike fear into the circuits of the super savers of the new right. It means both building and destroying machines, identities, categories, relationships, space stories. Through both are bound in the spiral dance, or though both are bound in the spiral dance, I would rather be a cyborg than a goddess. So through these transgressions of boundaries and through this complete rejection of the idea of going back to some originary time, like going back to the Garden of Eden... There is nothing about like naturalness that we are trying to return to. And through that, we are able to basically do the same thing that I would think Bataillian thinking attempts to do, which is to traumatize thoughts, to shake up meaning, to make new connections, and to do blasphemy, which involves taking things very seriously. That blasphemy requires the utmost seriousness I think that something that is very queer that has been done consistently throughout queer community is the way that we take signs of things that may harm us or, or may be systems of oppression or maybe don't belong to us or aren't made for us and then turning them into signs of pleasure and subverting them for ourselves and I think that that is like the process the kind of like blasphemous process that is so meaningful. And so I think like how religious imagery is like Christian imagery that was often like quite traumatizing <laughs> to many queers, you know, as as children, is often taken up in these very transgressive but also very serious and also like sacred ways within our own practices. And and I think I think that is a form of, of cyborg politics that we are creating new meaning through these things that are built both historically and otherwise, to cause us harm. And I think that there are near countless ways in in, in which that can be done.
1: I also think it's really important that she doesn't get rid of science. I think that there is an impulse when you say, actually, we want to get rid of truth, we want to get rid of foundations, we want to get rid of totalizing theories. And people are like, well, that means that science is hegemonic and evil. When science is so (laughs) life-giving... For so many people, I mean, we were talking earlier about like my need to get my meds filled. Like, sure, big pharma is terrible and evil, but like, no, this is improving my life. It makes life livable that I'm able to be a cyborg and take the meds that I need to make my brain work the way that I need it to work to live the kind of life that I want to work or <laughs> while I want to live.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that we can, you know, want to abolish capitalism and, and critique the pharmacy itself while also acknowledging how, you know, like medicine can be literally life-saving and is literally life-saving. Like, yeah, I don't know where I would be without modern medicine. I think also like one of the foundational mistakes about medicine is thinking that it comes from the hegemony because often care is something that is relentlessly pursued by the marginalized people that that need the care, you know, like trans care was not something that was constructed by you know, these evil masterminds wanting to like do a lot of surgeries, like like trans care was something that was created within trans community and then relentlessly pursued and advocated for. And so any system of like trans care that we have, like it only exists because of because of trans people. It's not it's not something that like produces trans people. It's produced because of trans people.
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely or this like horrifying impulse for people to see that as a um a mutilation of one's body of like the natural body being this like sacrosanct like object that we have to foster and like anything that we're doing to modify it or to change it is blasphemous (laughs) but no it's those acts are the things that make it possible to, to live and to be
0: yeah, like sometimes cutting into the self and rearranging the self can be an incredibly pleasurable thing. sometimes breaking down the boundaries of self can be incredibly pleasurable. sometimes something that can be seen as horrific and like literally horror to to one person taken in a different context and like a that is like consensual you know can be like deeply loving and, and like even religious another thing about the cyborg it is this incredibly embodied image you know there's fluids there's openings there's holes there's vulnerability and penetrations that very much open up spaces for transgression that are that are not there otherwise okay so time to do confessions aurora would you like to start us out
1: yeah it's my it's my pleasure confession number one a guy drugged me and then robbed me while i was sucking him and i can't stop jacking off to him which is a lot
0: yeah it's a lot i yeah i'm i'm sorry that that happened to you i'm sure you're not alone in the way that you know we respond to certain types of things traumatophilia is a thing
1: that's that was exactly my response like i'm so sorry that that happened to you i hope you're taking care of yourself and part of how people will respond to those things or make sense of them, like as a, or find even empowerment in it is reinscribing the memory or doing do something different with it, which we'll be talking a lot about next episode when we begin to talk, or begin our first couple of conversations, or we've been, I shouldn't say first couple of conversations because we've been tiptoeing around this topic for a while now, but we'll be looking at theories of trauma and we'll be looking at uh, sex in relation to trauma.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be I'm I'm really excited. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Um number 2, my ex broke my heart when I caught him cheating and when he moved out, I had a lesbian three-way the next day. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that's that's like a that's like a humble brag, I don't know. That sounds like a win all around, <laughs> honestly like you know it sucks yeah. to have your heart broken but like i don't know
1: <laughs> and we, we were joking i think via text a couple days ago about how everything is better once you become a dyke
0: <laughs> yeah yeah certainly um yeah it seems like nothing of value was lost here you know <laughs>
1: okay I, I love this one i love being a camboy. knowing i made someone finish without touching them is fulfilling yeah to be so desirable and to like have someone want you that bad that they you can just get them off like that awesome remarkable another kind of humble brag we love that
0: yeah that that is I relate to that a lot <laughs> not a whole lot of um of of sinning in the last couple just just you know nice things <laughs> um Okay, I slept with a woman who has plans to murder everyone she sleeps with. I still wonder what her plans were for me. I mean, I have questions because I'm, like, you know, is it is it, like, a plan to murder everyone she sleeps with out of, like, oh, if they, like, try to do something horrible, like, I'm ready to, like, defend myself and kill them? Or is it, like, I'm planning how to murder them? Just like in case I did want to murder them because it's like hot to think about, you know. There's different ways we can.
1: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking. Is it just like, I mean, even whichever one of those scenarios, like I also I want to know what her plans are.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. I want, I want details. Um, not just for you, uh, confession giver. Yeah, I just, I, I want, I want her to have a journal. You know.
1: Yeah. So if you yeah if you're that mysterious woman who has plans to murder everyone that you sleep with and you happen to be listening to this show, uh, get back to us. Let us let us know what your
0: plans are. Yeah, let us let us read your your okay. journal entries because you know if, if if you're going to like weirdly catalog every single sexual experience you have, I feel like doing it in that way is uh, it's a more interesting way of doing it for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, I, I haven't watched Death Note yet, but I know of it. <laughs> it's like sexual Death Note. So,
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't... I don't know if those are the no. same. But no, they're
1: not the same? Okay. I.
0: I well, yeah, y- yeah. Death Note's yeah. okay. It's fine. <laughs> okay.
1: Um. <laughs> okay, so I regularly look at niche fetish porn while my spouses in the room unbeknownst to them yeah
0: this also brings up questions for me right like is it unbeknownst to them because it would be like unacceptable for you to look at them like is it like is it like fun as part of you looking at them like the the enjoyment of them not knowing and it would be fine if they knew because you know i would certainly like be like oh i would you know i would like my partners to know my my niche fetish porn that i like porn doesn't Super do it for me usually, but certainly I like I want to share all of uh desire with with my partners but yeah i I think this is fine, I guess, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I would feel withheld from if someone had a interesting niche fetish they they not share with me, and we've gotten to spouse levels of commitment but
0: yeah. I mean, it's like you know, you're you're allowed to have a secret fetish if you really want. Like, you don't have to disclose everything if you're doing that because, um, because you think they would like not approve or there's like shame around. I, I don't know. I, I would I would hope I would hope that uh, in a spouse level relationship, that could be something where you would be like, oh yeah, I'm into this. Like, let's explore that. You know. <laughs>
1: you might have a moment of a, of a, oh, my God, I've always wanted to do that. Which is, those are nice moments, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, meeting of the minds. Sometimes confession brings, brings interesting possibilities up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and our final one. I'm in my mid-30s and just started to realize that maybe I've never really enjoyed sex. I've only kind of liked performing it for other people.
1: Oh. This could be any number of straight women that I know
0: yeah I I think this is like pretty common (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I mean like it's interesting because it's like I know a lot of like a lot of queer women who you know started like having sex with only men like not really enjoying it that much like they got some sort of like gender pleasure off of it um but then when they like actually had sex with like non-men there was like oh this is actually way better. or something you know along those lines, um, but also you know like part of the enjoyment of sex is is the performance of it and the gender of it, so that like also doesn't necessitate like yeah. I guess there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like different possibilities here because
1: it could also just be this is incredibly great sex. They just it's just not their thing because they're yeah performing all these different things and there's just all this
0: pleasure which is like, eh, other things are more pleasurable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, you may you could explore that in in different directions. I guess the biggest thing would be I am positive that you are not alone um, in this for sure. All right. well um, thank you all so much for listening to this episode. This was our probably biggest struggle to make episode. But we did it. Our neurodiverse coming together of minds at the last second. Like mm-hmm. yeah, look at us.
1: We did do it.
0: We're we're doing it. <laughs> Cyborgs. I know, I know. We're <laughs> we have all of these big plans that, you know, we're gonna um uh like plan like, you know, several months ahead and we're we're gonna get there. But at the moment we're we're at our um mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. classic. Mm-hmm. And that's great. We're a great team. We understand each other.
1: Do you want to thank our wonderful patrons and <laughs>
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, so if you would like to help support our show, you can sign up at our Patreon at patreon.com slash drunkchurch and signing up for any tier gets you access to all of our bonus episodes and also lots of written bonus content and we have lots of other stuff planned that we're going to do with the patreon in the future um but also just signing up for the patreon outside of the things you individually get what you're really getting is the show you know like our ability to continue to go forward and produce it cuz we we do put an enormous amount of time and research into the show to to make it happen. And we also want to, you know, thank everyone who has already signed up. You are the real MVPs and are making this all a reality. We're so thankful.
1: Mm-hmm. God bless, Godspeed. <laughs>
0: all right. So, have a lovely day everybody and Um, God bless Bless you
1: For being an angel
0: Just when it seemed That heaven was not for me Bless you
1: For building a new dream Just when my old dream crumbled so helplessly